0: It's a show with two retired detectives That were in the thick of New York crime fast and hectic They got some stories and some jokes Even an interview with the most popular folks Off the cuff, off the cuff One episode
1: just ain't enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing.
2: hello everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host bill cannon and with me today and on most days my co-host straight out of brooklyn phil grimaldi how you doing today phil pretty good billy how about you all right pretty good we have a special guest we are going to introduce him in more depth later but we have uh, sergeant stephen gordell from the movie tv unit who's going to talk to us about the use of weapons on movie sets but first folks uh, you know, there's a, some really breaking news in regards to the Gabby Petito and O'Brien Brian Laundry case, and his attorney Stephen Bertolino has make, been making the rounds of uh, of the media, and uh, really, I think he's probably wishes he never did because uh, Ashley Banfield had him on last night, and and she just literally shredded this guy, and it didn't look good for him, and it didn't look good for his profession, it didn't look good for the Laundry family because clearly. Uh, you know, not I'm not a body language reading expert, but if I had to say someone was lying, this guy was lying just about every other word he said <laughs> out of his mouth. I want to show you a little bit of uh, one of the of part of the interview with uh, with Ashley Banfield. And folks, if you're not uh, subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us that thumbs up, ring that bell for us. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, so I'm going to go. I want to play a little bit of the of the excuse me, of the Ashley Banfield interview. It's really interesting. And I also found out that Ashley Banfield has a law degree. So that would explain her, her knowledge in regards to uh, uh, to the law. Let me get this on the screen. And we'll play a little bit
3: of this. No volume, Bill.
2: Okay. Although I got to get the, sorry, folks, I got to reset uh, it up. I always forget to punch up that little box in
3: the corner. That's Billy being the engineer as well as the host. What
2: has
4: been, you know, Roberta Laundrie's demeanor and and disposition over the last four or five weeks. I can tell you, she's been very upset. Um, You know, she's uh, again, been distraught and in the last couple of days, she's grieving.
5: Fully understand. And again, I'm not going to press you on, on what was said. I'm again, trying to go around the outside as best I can to get, uh, the 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 color, um, the essence and and the feel of what the family was going through in those early days between September first and September eleventh when Gabby Petito was uh, uh, declared missing. And even thereafter, um, up until the thirteenth when Brian himself uh, left for the hike and didn't come back, I guess all I'm trying to 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 get a feel for is that the family meeting with you um, were the, the, the can I put it this way? When you had the family meeting with them via electronics, was it a happy occasion?
4: You know, often
2: I tell people as an attorney, I, I often don't get to deal with that on happy. Did did you see the I get deep, this
0: everyone? An attention.
2: I, I, I'm sorry, but did did you see I'm, did you see the deep breath he took there? Did, did, did was it a happy occasion? Uh are you getting ready to answer the question or are you getting ready? To tell a big gigantic lie. That's what we would like to know because we're gonna watch. We're gonna watch that again. Uh,
3: It's. It looks like he was about to poop in his pants. Oh my
2: god! (laughs) It's just incredible, and you know, when you see, uh, you know, as I said, we're not body language experts, but just watch this.
4: You know, you're using a term "happy" that I would never use. What I can tell you is, every conversation's been serious. Every conversation uh, that. You know, that I've had um as any attorney would have with their client, you know, doesn't necessarily border on happy. Um, and I don't mean to beat you up on the use of that word. Um, but what I can tell you is I'm not at liberty to discuss anything uh prior to September eleventh. You know, you can ask me many different ways, but I'm gonna keep giving you the same answer. You know, all of that is gonna right. be attorney client privilege. Anything after without September divulging
5: 11th, sure. What without divulging anything they said. Were they, at least all three of them, um, you know, able to engage with you and uh, and fill you in on their perspectives of anything that you were discussing?
4: On September 12th and September 13th? Yes, absolutely.
5: All three of them could fill you in on how things were going within the household. Your discussion as a group was, you know, was was full and rich and you could get a feel for what was happening in that household through through your conversation with the three of them.
4: I had private conversations with uh, Brian. I had private conversations with Chris, and I had uh, pri- private conversations with Chris and Roberta separately. Um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, yeah, I had an understanding of, uh, of, you know, how the house was functioning at that point in time.
5: But you didn't have the family together, the family unit together, to uh, find out how they were coping as a unit.
4: Uh, there were a couple of conversations where, you know, all, you know, three members of the family in that household were, were together. Yes.
5: Okay. So presumably, and, and what days were those, uh, conversations? Cause it's, you know, the, the mood and the, the change in what happened in the dynamic of that family is important. What days did you have those conversations where you knew how all three of them were feeling at the same time?
4: I would say, um, uh, Sunday the 12th and, and, uh, Monday the 13th.
5: So well, those are critical, critical days. Can you tell me the demeanor of uh, Brian Laundrie on the 12th and on the 13th? And when I ask you about demeanor, I'd like to try to get specific. Did he seem suicidal?
4: No, and I literally just spoke to the family, Chris and Roberta, maybe 45 minutes ago. Um, and you know we repeated this, this conversation or that question and, you know, Brian was not, you know, outwardly suicidal. And what Mrs. Laundry, what Roberta just said to me, she goes, you know, how do you really know? You know, what do you really know what somebody's thinking? And, you know, we, we can suspect what their mood might be, but what do you really know what's going on inside? Um, and I can tell you that, you know, Brian was alert. He was coherent. You know, when he was speaking with me, I, I had no inclination or indication uh, that he would hurt himself.
5: Was I, mean, I have heard you say on other interviews just in the last 24 hours that he was grieving, and anyone who is grieving is sad over death. Was he sad over the death of Gabby Petito when he was grieving prior to going out on his hike, which from which he did not return?
4: And Ashley, as as I've said, you know, all day long, because I know I've been getting heat on the use of that word. Uh, yesterday was a very long day. The day before that was a long day.
2: One of the All right, let's not belabor this, Phil. You know, first of all, it's not believable that he had no interaction with the family till the 12th. That is totally not believable. The other thing, he used the word that Brian was grieving. Now, you can't pull that back once you said it. He said it because they didn't find Gabby's body till the 18th. So how was he grieving on the 12th or the 13th? Because you know something that you're lying about right now.
3: What do you feel about this, Phil? Well, first off, I think that this Bertolino, uh, this type of stuff that he's involved in is way above his pay grade. I would love to see how Joe Murray would have handled something like this. Now, I know Joe may be watching. If he's not, we know he's, uh, he's an expert uh, criminal uh, defense attorney. He's also a retired member of the police department. So I don't think he would have answered the questions in a way that uh, that Bertolino did. He was being led around. Uh, she walked him into a couple of traps and he slipped up. And one of them is that he's saying that Brian was grieving. What was Brian grieving about? When you use that word, it's only in one context. He's grieving about the loss of someone. And it's obviously Gabby that he referred to. He he, he screwed up. You know, that. that's my opinion on it.
2: You know, I, he should really uh, take the advice uh, that he gives to, to his clients. Yeah. Don't talk. Don't talk. But he's trying to, you know, get, He's trying to get his ticket punched and he's going on all the television shows and basically he's stepping on it. He's stepping on it, you know. As we say, I won't use that word, but he's stepping on his proverbial, you know what. Yeah. And uh and I'm gonna show one more little little snippet here. And uh his body language here is also says a lot.
4: I think every searcher who was out there will attest to that. So people with first hand knowledge of the conditions of that path have said that this was under two to three feet of water, and yet still John Q. Public can't get it in their head that these areas were inaccessible, and the items that were located today, or I should say yesterday, perhaps couldn't be seen. So we're not just saying it. I'm not just saying it. The FBI is saying it. Everyone is saying it. And yet these platforms are still running amok with with these ludicrous and and i have to say you know nonsensical theories of the parents planting things there i mean enough is enough
6: steve you know we are does it stop when do
4: people
7: yeah we we are here today though because of the disappearance of gabby petito and ultimately her death you know the petito family has been very critical of the laundry so i want to play you a, a short clip of the petito family i want to get your reaction on the other end,
4: I believe they know probably, if not everything, they know most of the information. I would love to just face to face ask, "Why are you doing this?" And just tell me the truth.
7: This family, you're representing them. How would you describe the
6: laundry's interaction with law enforcement?
4: So. As I mentioned uh, a couple of times today to, to other news organizations, today is not the day to discuss the Gabby Petito case. I understand that that was the impetus, that that is the reason why all this is, is happening, um, but that doesn't explain why people come up with these nonsensical theories as to yesterday's events and some other events. It doesn't explain, Tom, why major news organizations just yesterday on Fox News an anchor was accusing me of communicating with Brian with a burner phone until his solar power ran out and I could no longer communicate. That was from an anchor. You had pundits on CNN just last night with all kinds of theories. So my anger and my frustration, and when I say, when does it stop? What I'm saying is, when does it stop that that these Conjecturists, these theorists people who have no first-hand knowledge and specifically with yesterday's events you have people with first-hand knowledge telling you how this played out and yet people still don't believe it so i'm going to focus on that i'm not going to talk about the petito family they they suffer no Tom, let me finish yeah they suffered a grave loss and on september 14th when i first went on video i said there were two families here that have suffered a a great tragedy. There are two young people that have now lost their lives. There are.
2: It stops. I think, I think, I think that's enough. I think that's enough. This guy is like, you know, you give. when you talk too much, you hang yourself with your own words. And, you know, the more he talks, the less believable his story is. And, uh, Phil, just I'm going to give you the last word on this. Then we're going to move on to the
3: second story. About yeah, you know, real, real quick. I mean, I tend to believe the fact that the laundries didn't know or didn't believe that Brian was suicidal. I don't think if they had any indication that they thought he was suicidal they would have sent him allowed him to leave to go into that nature preserve so now with that said there's two possibilities either a he killed himself or he succumbed to some type of either an accident or some type of an animal interaction a crocodile whatever so that's what i think is where we're heading with this thing the best advice for bertolino shut the hell up, get off the, the news circuit, uh, <laughs> do yourself a favor. You just He's just, you know, when you're in a hole and you keep digging, you keep going deeper into the hole. That's what he's doing. You know, Phil, we're now going to
2: cover the, uh, the tragedy on that movie set in New Mexico where Alec Baldwin shot and killed the director of photography. And uh, why don't you introduce our guest today so uh, our audience will uh, get a firsthand knowledge who he is.
3: Yes. Well, we're uh, delighted to have a close friend, Steve Gaudel, who's a retired sergeant from the NYPD. He, uh, He had 22 years of service in the NYPD. He had seven years as a sergeant in the movie TV unit. Real quick, uh, I'll let him explain it, but the movie TV unit is the unit that oversees any video production, uh, movie production, anything that's going on in the streets of New York City, and he was a sergeant for over 10 years. I actually worked with Steve's dad. I know him for quite a while, and without any further ado, Steve Goddell, welcome
1: to the show. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Bill. Steve the Steve you know
3: one of the, I'm
2: sorry to interrupt you I'm so okay. uh, hyped up to get on this case try it up how um describe the, the? obviously some protocols were disregarded in this case this, this of course is a tragic accident yeah. however there are safety protocols and someone is dead right now so there has to be uh, an investigation at the level of a homicide investigation to to get to the bottom of what happened.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I agree. And it is a terrible tragedy. Condolences to uh, Helena Hutchinson's uh, family. Um, they, I, I can't speak to the protocols in uh, um, New Mexico, but uh, I can speak to the protocols in New York City, and it's, it's almost impossible, nearly impossible, for something like this to happen in New York City with the protocols that are in place. Uh, but the union rules, uh, the prop master rules, that should be countrywide um so like the handling of the firearms and all that stuff uh the first thing i will say is that in new york city there uh you're not allowed to use a real firearm that hasn't been modified uh to either not allow a projectile to leave the the firearm or not allow a blank uh shell casing to be uh, i'm sorry uh, a live round to be put into the to the firearm so in a part of what the NYPD Movie TV unit is, uh, does is we work as a liaison with the Mayor's Office of Film, Television, and Broadcasting. And what we do is we, we basically scout the sets and the scenes, and we, we, we pretty much approve everything that's shot, that's filmed exterior. Everything is filmed exterior. So any type of gunplay, any, kind of, any type of traffic control, that's something that we're going to go over and we're going to approve. Uh, so a big thing is uh, the, what kind of gunplay is there going to be? Is there going to be, what type of load? There's different loads for for the blanks. Uh, where are you getting the firearms from? Who, you know, is there, you know, is there a, is there a, a union prop master? Is there a armor on set? Uh, these are all things that we go over. So so if this scene was filming, let's say in New York City, one of the officers from the movie TV unit would be there. And at the beginning of the day, they would get a copy of the permit. Which would be given it to them by the uh, locations people, or we can print it up from our office. We have access to those permits, and have the permit ourselves. Uh, and we would go through, and the officer would go through the permit line by line. And there's nothing on that permit that would happen that day without the approval. Um, that's not on that permit, or the approval of a movie TV unit supervisor, such as myself or one of the other sergeants or the lieutenant. Uh, so, like I said, and now the next thing. Uh, is that the prop master will come and find the movie TV unit cop on set. And he will say, hey, listen, here are the guns that are playing today. Can you know? Can you expect and in, inspect them? Absolutely. Oh, not-
2: Steve, Steve, let me stop you right there. Yeah. So someone from the NYPD is going to physically inspect the guns that are
1: going to be used. 100%. And right, right, all- there,
2: right there, there's a check and balance that is going to preclude a tragedy like this one to occur. Because there's a check that I'm sure was not in place in New Mexico.
1: Well, I, you know what it is. I, I, I don't. They probably don't film as much there, so I, I'm sure they don't have a a unit there solely um, dedicated to film production. So it's and 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 the movie TV unit cops. They, it's not. They're just not regular cops. They you know they've been trained. We we go to this place called uh, it's called the Specialist, and the Specialist is the probably probably the biggest prop company in the country, especially on the East Coast. I mean they. They're a prop manufacturer. They manufacture firearms. They create. They've created uh, blanks. Their own blanks uh, called the New York Load. That's uh, basically just goes off like a cap gun. So you, so so productions can shoot uh, uh, blanks after 10 p.m. and not disturb the public. Um, and they they specifically created them for that reason. And it basically recycles the gun. But and it gives like a little, little bit of a noise, but it, re- it allows the gun to recycle. And then they could put if they want a flame, they could put that in in post-production. Steve, um, Steve, you just,
2: just hold it. Yeah, God, I'm sorry. sorry. Go sorry. ahead. Yeah, no. sorry. Hold, hold that thought. I'm going to play this little short video from um, from Fox News here.
6: From a script supervisor on the set and the script supervisor can be heard blaming an assistant director for failing to make sure the prop gun was safe. Here's a part of that call.
5: So was it loaded with a real bullet or what i don't. I cannot tell you that okay we have two injuries from a movie gun shot okay we're getting them out there already just stay on the phone with me Okay. you okay an this that yelled at me at lunch because asking about revisions did you see him and yell at me he's supposed to check the gun he's responsible
6: Deadline is now reporting that there had been a recent accidental discharge of the prop gun on the set, and the LA Times is reporting that crew members walked off the set just hours before the shooting. One crew member was reportedly complaining about gun safety. Tim Clementi is a Hollywood technical consultant and former FBI special agent, and he joins us now. So, Tim, on a legitimate movie set with safety protocols when you're dealing with a prop gun, What would go into something like using a gun during the filming?
0: The first thing, Jesse, is always the safety rules. There's four rules of firearm safety that you follow with any gun. Treat every weapon as if it's loaded. Never point a gun at anything you're not willing to kill or destroy. Never put your finger on the trigger unless you're willing to kill or destroy. And always be aware of what's in front of, behind, and around your target. All four of those rules were violated on that movie set. And if you follow those rules, nobody's in danger and nobody gets hurt. And I don't know that Alec Baldwin is to blame, the producers, the the AD that that, that woman mentioned, the assistant director. Uh, there's probably a whole host of people because this is a cascading set of issues that led to this happening. Clearly, it wasn't just Alec having the gun in his hand. It was him not knowing that it was possibly loaded, him not treating it like it was loaded. And, you know, he bears a little bit of responsibility as a producer on set to make sure these things are being done.
6: And clearly they weren't. So one round, I guess, wounded one person and killed another. Are you thinking it was some sort of ricochet situation? Well,
0: generally the director and the director of photography are in very close proximity to each other on the set. They're usually right next to the camera or right behind the camera or somewhere somewhere very close by, and it's possible that it was one round, but possibly not a bullet. There could have been something else, another shell casing that was in the gun. Uh, I understand, it, since this is, a, I guess, a, uh, a period piece, that it's most likely that it was a revolver, and so it is possible that the wrong caliber was put in first, or something else was introduced into the chamber, which was still in the chamber, and then a blank was put into the cylinder. The cylinder uh, rotates, the gun fires, and whatever's in in that barrel can be projected down the barrel. That could fragment and hit two people at the same time, or it could literally go through one person into the other.
6: And it looks like sloppiness because there was another incident apparently days earlier where there was a discharge situation that people were concerned about. And, you know, investigators are going to look at everything. They're going to look at sloppiness. They're going to look at sabotage. I think everything is on the table here. You don't have a loaded weapon on a set like that and treat it that cavalierly without multiple protocols being violated. It's just such a tragedy. And I don't see any sort of real explanation besides little leaks that we're hearing throughout the day. In your opinion, and you're familiar with this kind of situation, what does your gut tell you about what happened?
0: Well, I think, there, again, there's a failure. There's, there's supposed to be a prop master. There's usually an armorer whenever you have weapons on set. Both of those people are very responsible ordinarily, and they would be the person that you would go to with the weapon before and after you're going to use it. And so somebody should have handed the actor, in this case Alec Baldwin, a weapon and said, Alec, this is loaded. Don't point it at anybody. Don't put your finger on the trigger. When you shoot it, make sure you're pointing it in a safe direction. It's got a blank in it, and this, you know, it can still cause harm. And then Alec should have recognized that once the shot is done, the gun is taken away by the prop master, the armorer, or whoever's responsible on set. Clearly, there was none of that. Apparently, during a rehearsal, he was holding the gun in his hand, and I don't know if this accident occurred during the rehearsal or during an actual Uh, scene they were filming. But either way, there's, as I said, there's several people that are responsible. And I think one of the reasons we're not hearing a lot of detail coming out is because there could be criminal liability. Absolutely. I I don't, I I don't disparage, I don't disparage any of the people involved as, as individuals, but there are, there are ramifications when something like this happens. And unfortunately it can be criminal.
6: Right. And according to the 911 call, it looks like it wasn't the armorer or the prop master that handed the gun. It was the
2: you know, Steve. One of the things I think that everyone will question is, like, all right, we understand that the gun was loaded with a blank. Why or how did a projectile get into the uh, get into well, the chamber?
1: Well, it could be it could be uh, a similar scenario to the Brandon Lee incident. Um, do you want me to explain that? Go yeah, go ahead. Yes, It's, please, it's, please it's kind of a crazy story. I mean, a, a million different things went wrong. For that to happen. This was this was told to me by a uh, old old time um, New York uh, New York prop master uh, a few years ago. So when they were filming the movie, uh, they needed the prop guy needed a dummy round for a scene, uh, and a dummy round is a round that uh, you know looks like a real bullet, full bullet, but doesn't have any gunpowder. The primer is uh, has been um, used; for, the prime is dead. And and there's no gunpowder in it, and this is this is a it's a fake bullet, and they he needed those and he didn't have any, so I guess back then there wasn't a prop company he can call, or he didn't have them in 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 his in his uh, prop uh, storage facility, or whatever. So he goes down to the local gun store, and he buys some real bullets, and I and I'm assuming he takes a pair of pliers or something to that effect, and he pulls the bullet out, the projectile out of shell casing, dumps out the the gunpowder and uh figures all right yeah, well it's good there's no gunpowder in it he takes the projectile uh puts the bullet puts it back into the shell casing and now oh well, now i got a dummy round so now the scene goes on and i be- i believe i've seen the movie i'm actually a big fan of the movie i am be- assuming it's the scene where they're throwing the the fake the bullets are putting them in the shot glasses and they're playing russian roulette the bad guys so this they're pulling the the pulling the uh the trigger on the gun so i'm assuming as this is going on uh It hits the primer and the primer has just enough in it to dislodge the bullet from the shell casing but i guess because he was messing with the top of the bullet it wasn't smooth and plus it's a tight fit anyway it gets stuck and lodged into the barrel of the gun so yeah day's over he unloads all these uh these bullets he doesn't realize one of them is missing a uh the top of the bullet uh the, the projectile so then, a day later or two days later, there's this big scene where Brandon Lee is supposed to get shot with uh, with this gun. So now the prop person takes a blank bullet, a blank bullet with no projectile. He puts it in the gun. He gives it to the actor. The actor fires that blank, and now that's a full load. A full load is is the same amount of gunpowder, pretty much, that's in a real bullet, with the same energy, but no projectile. But the projectile's wet- wedged inside the barrel. So he pulls that trigger, the force from that uh, um, blank, round, uh, blank round shoots that projectile out, and it kills Brendan Lee. And so he actually got killed with a real bullet. It just, the bullet was already in the barrel. It wasn't in the shell casing.
2: That's crazy.
1: So, so, the, so in, what I found out is that in New, New Mexico, uh, I think they are allowed to use, in other states, they are allowed to use a real gun. And then just fire blank bullets. So now you can go. You know, let's say it's an old gun. They can't find it anywhere. They don't want. It. They don't want to spend the money to go to a place like the specialist who can find a gun like that, modify it, and turn it and make it com- make it safe. You know, uh, I, I mean, they're never completely safe because a gun, with, uh, a lot of guns, when they're using a full load, if the gun is you know pressed right against up somebody or this far away and it has the full uh, a full load blank in it there is stuff that comes out of it and there is a flame and, and it could kill you. That actually happened to another actor uh, in the eighties. He had a blank gun with a full load in it. There was no projectile. And I, and I think he, he thought, Hey, there's no, there's no blank. And he was playing around. He put it to his head. He shot it. And I think it, uh, it cracked his skull and shot that piece of his skull into his brain and killed him. Oh, man. So, These guns are still dangerous, but you know,
2: Steve, one of the things that we know, and we shake our heads because we all have had extensive firearms training, and the cliches you hear are so true a gun is always loaded, a gun is never loaded. And as long as I I mean, as long as you treat a gun as it's always, always loaded, you will never have a problem. So if someone says to you, Oh, don't worry, you can pull the trigger, it's not loaded, you should physically check that gun yourself before you believe that person. That said, that statement to you,
7: correct. I just well, want to
2: go ahead, see. I just want to ask Phil something, Phil. Yes. This now, this is a horrendous situation, but yet this has to be investigated like a homicide because it is a homicide. Of course, it is. So t- t- let's talk about the investigation on this case.
1: Well, well, just just not to interrupt you, Phil. But th- what ahead, they were ahead. saying in the news about the first AD, the first AD is the person on the set who's responsible we're for just the safety of the set, but. There's really no instance where the f- the first AD should be handing a gun to anybody. The only person that should have been handing the gun to Alec Baldwin is the armorer, and that gun should have been loaded by the armorer if it was supposed to be loaded. <laughs> uh, go up to Alec Baldwin right before right before the scene. Not even for the rehearsal. The rehearsal, they could use hands. They don't even need the gun. They could use. They usually when they block out a scene, they just use their hands. They point their hand out. They don't. They don't need the gun, especially when it's going to be loaded hands the gun to Alec Baldwin, Mr. Baldwin, this this is a hot gun. If you pull the trigger one time, a round is going to come out of it. You know, as soon as they call cut, you give this gun back to me. Don't move, don't turn, don't point it anywhere. Unless the scene would call for more than one shot. But then he would be told, there's five rounds in this gun. Okay, you pull the trigger five times, five blanks are going to go off. As soon as they call cut, do not move, do not go anywhere, do not leave the set. And the, and the armor is literally off camera and will go and grab that gun. I mean, and that's for two reasons. For one reason, obvious. the main reason, obviously, is the safety. And for the second reason, if they want to go again, they want that gun loaded right away. So the armorer is right there on top of the actor. The actor never walks away. Now, as far as pointing in the safe direction, that's true. I, I, I Currently, I, I work as a technical advisor for TV shows. So what we do is we train actors how to shoot the guns. Uh, main reason for safety but also to get them comfortable uh how how the gun works and so they feel comfortable on the day and they look natural but we always teach them and this is a thing that, that any actor who's who, who has been trained or has worked in a scene with guns for is you always cheat the angle you're never actually pointing the gun at everybody and they are given a you know a weapon safety uh you know briefing before we go into the training of the gun and how the gun works And even though they're firing blanks as we're training them, we're still teaching them always point the gun in the safe direction, keep your finger off the trigger and all that. So, you know, that being said, those are two things right off the bat. I mean, the only way, I don't know how Alec Baldwin was pointing the gun at the director and the cinematographer, unless they were so far off in the distance that he didn't realize. Or, Or they were right behind camera. But usually they put a piece of plexiglass in front of the
2: camera. Look, there's obviously a lot of uh mistakes in this. Christy P, thank you uh for the five dollar super chat. And she says I support the New York City police. Great job, fellas. Phil, there's gotta be probably a hundred or more people working on this movie set. I think the movie set is called the Bonanza what? Creek, the Bonanza Creek Ranch. Okay. So they obviously uh they hire out this location for all kinds of western type movies, but this, the, now you get called to the c- scene. The 911 call happens. I would want, to tell you the truth, I would want at least 20 to 25 detectives go into this scene. I wouldn't want, and I don't know if they have that kind of manpower in Santa Fe, New Mexico, because you got to separate everybody. That's very difficult to do. you got to conduct interviews of of every single person on that scene separate.
3: How do you do that when you send four detectives there? No, absolutely, Bill. uh, There'd be reinforcements called. I mean, obviously it's New Mexico. Uh, I don't know what kind of manpower they have, but in the NYPD, we'd reach out to several other squads and get a bunch of detectives down there and do exactly what you just said, your expertise at being a sergeant in a homicide squad. We would separate everybody. I mean, this is a homicide investigation, and I just want to offer condolences to Helena Hutchins family, as well as Joe Souza, I understand he was the director of Rust and she was the cinematographer, director of photography. It sounds like what Steve just said is what occurred. It sounds like now I was uh, a little surprised to find out from Steve that when they do these scenes, they don't actually point the 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 gun loaded with blanks at the person that's supposed to be getting shot or shot at they pointed in a little bit of an angle off of the person uh so that way there can't be any risk of an injury to that person from the muzzle flash i guess or if god forbid there is some type of projectile inside the barrel of said gun now it sounds like to me that the person who was shot helena hutchins and the director may have been in the distance. Uh, the bullet, uh, the the gun may not have been pointed in their direction directly, but they may have been in the background. That's what it sounds like. It's a horrible, horrible tragedy. But based on the, all the news accounts we're getting, I mean, uh, they're saying that some of the camera people walked off because of safety uh, concerns. And Steve informed me, I didn't know this, He uh, when they said that the assistant director handed the gun to Alec Baldwin, he said right there in New York that would be a clear violation of protocols. So there's going to be a lot of interviews. I, I would, anybody that was present on that set at that time, if I were the investigator assigned to the case, they would have to be interviewed. After all the interviews are done, we'd have a pretty good idea of what mistakes were made. And then we would present it to uh, the local district attorney, prosecutor and see what culpabilities there were for who. And I think that uh, it sounds like, I mean, this is, uh, I'm not a president. I'm not part of the investigation. It sounds like there were a lot of mistakes made. I mean, it's clear to see based on a lot of the stuff that Steve told us, he informed us of uh, the standard protocols in New York. It sounds like they violated a lot of them. And just think about the story that he was telling us about, Brandon Lee. I mean, they, they try to improvise. They took apart the bullet themselves, uh, not knowing that the little bit of a primer the way a bullet works, there's the primer that ignites the gunpowder inside the shell and the project projectile is on the front of the shell. And that, uh, explosion, projects the 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 projectile the the actual lead bullet let's say to to go down the barrel and, and to strike the target so they didn't even realize when they improvised they didn't have these bullets they went and bought them they took them apart took the gunpowder out thinking that you know the gun is safe meanwhile that bullet just got pushed into the barrel and then the next live round that was fired which uh, you know they call it a blank it unfortunately project that, projected that bullet so obviously there was a lot of uh things that were learned from that incident and they instituted the protocols. And obviously the mistakes were made today uh, yesterday when this happened.
2: Well, you know, even if this wasn't a a movie set and I was running this investigation, I would want to recreate the entire uh, shooting scene and exactly the physical makeup. Where was everyone standing? Where was Ms. Ms. Hutchins standing? Where was Mr. Sosa standing? Where was uh, Alec Baldwin standing with the gun? Which direction did he point? I would want to recreate all of that. I mean, how much I wonder in an investigation like this, even though I think the the most charges that could possibly be if it's criminal would be uh, a criminally negligent homicide. I don't see intent in this case from from my point of view now. But you have to investigate this from every single angle. It's also going to be after the criminal investigation. This is a huge huge civil case. What are the li- what is the liabilities from cutting corners from not taking. The safety protocols. All of those things have to be part of this criminal investigation and then passed on later to the civil investigation. Go ahead, Steve.
1: There was a case, uh, they were filming a movie about uh the Allman brothers once uh, a while back. Uh, Greg Alman, I think about Greg Allman and uh they were filming on a, on the train tracks and they were repeatedly told, I believe, by the location manager, like, listen, we didn't get approval to film on the train tracks. They they're not stopping the train. We can't film here. We don't have a permit. He, I believe the location manager left the job or quit. They decided to film anyway, and one of the PAs, one of the young PAs got hit by the train and killed. And people went to jail for that. And I'm pretty sure – I'm not positive. You got to look it up. But the, I think it was the first AD was one of the people because he was he in charge of the safety uh, that 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 got jail time. So I, I but, was
3: just going to bring that up, Steve, that I, I think based on all this stuff we're going through – my senses are telling me. I agree one hundred percent with you, Bill. That I would want to have a diagram join, and I would, I would, uh, when I interviewed each person, I'd say, "Where were you standing?" and mark it off on a diagram so you can re- recreate the whole scene. But at the end of the day, I think the real culpability is going to fall on the person that decided to make uh, the, the choice to not follow the safety co- protocols because people quit. That tells you something. Somebody wasn't happy with what was going on. So whoever made that decision to say, "No, here's the gun." or load the gun or whatever it was that they did, and we'll find that out in the coming days, I'm sure. That, I believe, would be the person that could be held criminally. I don't think Alec Baldwin at this point could be uh, held criminally unless he loaded the gun, correct? Yeah, the, well, the only way
1: I could see Alec Baldwin being uh, in any type of trouble is if, one, is if he was the one who loaded the gun, or, two, if he was playing around, like if he wasn't doing what he was supposed to, or if he if he was like... uh even if somebody told him like hey hello this gun's cold there's no bullets in it and he was like oh yeah ha ha, ha. and he pointed it you know he pointed it at somebody recklessly and fired it as a joke and then the bullet and then a bullet went off then i think he would be in trouble but he was most likely in the scene doing what he was supposed to be in the scene all he you know it's it's it, it's n- not his job to check the gun once it's loaded because he's being told it's loaded but but in new york city or with a good armorer, a, a, a good armorer, the armorer would have went up to Mister Mr. Baldwin. Here's the gun. He, they would have opened it. This is what type of gun is. This is a gun you to be using. This gun is cold. It's unloaded. They would they would showed the chain. They would open the chamber of the cylinder in a gun and made it very clear that uh, this gun is uh, unloaded. And most actors, most actors will ask. They want to know if it's if if they're going to be playing around with it and they're going to be uh pointing it at somebody at close range and it's supposed to be empty they want it they want to be shown. I mean that's my experience and and that's what we we train the actors when we do the gun training is like have them show it to you. You know, but the people that I usually train them with are the armorers from the specialists. So they're going to be on the set on the on the day anyway and they're like the best. They're the top guys. So they're going to be doing that on the day anyway. So New York really works like a finely you know, oiled machine compared to probably some of these other places where, don't, where they don't film as much. But back to the investigation, one of the big things is, was it a real bullet? So it, let's say it wasn't the whole the whole Brandon Lee type situation. Let's say it was a real gun, which it could have been in, the, in that state, and the prop person put a real a real bullet, a live bullet in there, and then gave him a gun with a live bullet. I mean, that that's that's a completely different story. Like, there's no reason for a live bullet to be on a movie set.
2: Yeah, but so. you know something, Steve? One of the things I wanted to say also is that you and I were both bosses, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that the, the shit stops with us. Mm-hmm. When we make a decision, even if we weren't uh, culpable in that decision, they can still get us for failure to supervise uh alec baldwin was a producer
1: he's supposed uh, he, to o- oversee yeah, but i think he's I, he's a producer because he signed his name to it and he probably he maybe maybe he put money into it i think he's not like uh, i'm not saying that he's he he that's not what he's uh, he's not there overseeing you know the the where the money's being spent and you I know mean, my you point, know my
2: answer to that is tell, tell that to the that. judge tell yeah. that to the judge you know
1: no, i i i understand what you're saying but he, there's a there's a, a line producer is the person in charge of the money. Um, I mean, listen, granted, could the studio or somebody above him or the person who's applying the money say something to them, you know, do this, cut this corner, cut that corner? Yeah, it's possible. But the line producer is the one who's, you know, trying to make it happen. And, and you know, uh, the a good line producer is the person who could bring it in on the budget, you know, from my experience working in the movie unit. So a lot of times people don't want to go up and say, hey, listen, we can't do this safely. You know, you know, if 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 we don't get no, you know, if we don't get more money, we can't do this safely. I mean, a lot of people are afraid to say that. I think because especially you if know, so you know, so you know, up, I've I,
2: I've seen uh, movie productions in New York City, and they're famous for this. They send homeless people to work security for them overnight <laughs> I, to I, to do I, the no parking detail. No, I I know it's oh, true. Yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. it uh-huh. to do the no parking detail, and I'm well, like, they, first get, of all. They're supposed to be licensed. They're supposed to be have a state watch guard licensed security guards. No, not they're, not, they're not.
1: They're not security. They're not security. Yeah, yeah, guards. I know. Okay, they're let's hold, call no, them I'm by a different you, name. They're, they're, I park, know, they're, they're, they're holding the park. All they do is I know is but that's sure bullshit. They're, they're supposed to
2: be security guards. I'm telling that you. Is, I know. Let's security. go. They're a multi-million security. dollar industry. Not
1: in anything.
2: I know. A multi-million dollar industry is hiring homeless people cuz they don't want to pay the,
1: the the hourly rates. Well, the they movie. don't pay those. They don't pay those parking guys much to begin with, regardless no, I, homeless I, 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 adults, Well, or. I,
2: I know that, but, but there's another, an example of the movie business cutting corners in a in a serious yeah. matter. Well, you know see, what I mean.
1: So, so this goes back to why the movie TV unit is such a such a great thing in New York City. So here here you you, you talk about um uh they say, they were talking about how they were misfires, which I'm assuming they mean there were accidental discharges of blanks throughout the day. If that ever happened on an exterior New York set and the cops weren't told the movie unit cops weren't told, we're going to let, we're going to do live rounds. Cause what happens is the cop goes over the radio and says, central be advised, uh, you know, the corner of 42nd street and, uh, and third Avenue, um, there's going to be three shots, three shots fired by a movie production. If any, uh, jobs in the area come over shots fired, please raise me up and call me. So basically... They're also there to make sure that the local cops don't come running there because they think there's a shots fired job when people start calling.
3: Good um, point.
1: You know, I mean, that wouldn't they wouldn't be using a a, a high uh, load like a full load probably in in that such of a high profile area. Um, but anyway, it still it still stands. But they come, the location manager comes to the uh, movie unit cop and says, officer. Can we do? We're ready to do the live firing. Can we do it right now? Right. And if it's if it's rush hour and there's a, you know a lot of people around, or it's too busy, or the or the officer feels it's not going to be safe, they'll be like, no, you're gonna have to wait. Uh, but if he does, if he does uh, approve it, he goes over the radio and he lets him know. Now, if the cop's just standing there, and all of a sudden he has boom, and and, and, a, and a blank round goes off. And it wasn't, and and it was, and he finds out it was by accident. That set could very well get shut down. And when I'm saying shut down, I'm saying you pick up all you take all your trucks and you leave, and that's it. You're done for the day. They could lose a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars, depending on what their day their day considered. So, my point is, is that the productions know that they're aware of that, and if they're not, or they try to cut corners, the first time they lose a lot of money like that, even though they have insurance or they get on the bad side of the mayor's office of uh, film television broadcasting or the movie TV unit, because they're being reckless, they, they, they're going to get shut down or they're not going to get their permits approved. approved. Then they're not going to be able to film on the street. They're not going to ever be able to do gunplay. I mean, there was a time where, uh, I mean, if, I'll give you a quick example. There's a very, very popular uh, New York city uh, comedy skit show that's on once a week. And they always <laughs> fly by the seat of their pants, you know, they film on a, one night, and they're ready for the next night. And, they, and they're, they're constantly being creative and coming up with new stuff, which which is commendable. But one day they decided we were fil- we were covering something they were doing in the park. They decided to put an actor in. A, they were like, you know what? Let's dress him up like a cop. So they're like, oh, they must have been like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So they dressed this actor up as a cop. Cop doesn't know any better. He's got a gun on him. Now he's in a park dressed up like a cop. There's not a cop around. They did it before our officers were, were supposed to arrive and they weren't even supposed to be dressed in uniform. So our officers arrives, they go, why is that actor dressed like a cop? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, we got this idea for a skit. We want to change it up. They're like, no, no, that's not okay. Where is it on the permit that you have a cop in uniform and, and, and guns? They're like, Oh, well we, you know, So like, no, 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 that's it. You know, get him out off the street. He can't be on the street. The, we told the mayor's office of film television and brokers, and they called in the production and the directors uh, and the actor and the actor and I actually went to that meeting and the actor was there. I was like, "Why are you here?" He's like, "Oh, they told me to to, to make this right." And the actor was like an up and coming, you know, comedian. And he goes, "They told me to make this right." I was like, "It's not your fault, right?" I go, did "You write the scene?" He's like, "No." I was like, "They just." He's like, "They just told me to get in, uh, get in uniform." So I said, "Well, you shouldn't do that in the future." You know, it was, it was, pro- it was probably the, the same.
2: It was probably the same guy that hires the homeless people to do security on overnight parking. <laughs>
3: So on that note, I got to tell you, I used to get a lot of uh, homeless people to jump in the uh, back of a detective car when we needed people for yeah. a lineup. Oh, Five I do hours. So I could imagine yeah, what that, do that's $25. the city. That's the city. They're not a production company. Go ahead, Phil. Do you have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks,
2: this is that's Dee. This is D from D's Designs. Dee is actually uh, her profession is a court stenographer, but she has a company, and her company is called D's Designs 107. And what better way to honor our first responders than a personalized Christmas ornament that will act as a reminder of their hard work and dedication? Each ornament is three by five inches wide and can be customized with a name, a badge number, a county, etc. There's also room on the back for an engraved personal message to your favorite first responder. Each ornament has a few different variations depending on your likes. Please contact us and let us help you create a very unique gift for you to give to your first responder. Please leave all details in the customization box for name, etc. on the front of the ornament. If you would like an inscription on the back, leave those details in the customization box as well. You'll receive a confirmation before anything is printed. And the website is ds-designs-107.myshopify.com. I know that's a lot to remember. Just pull this up on your computer, and I'll, you can save that site. And uh, the holidays are coming. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, get your uh, first responder one of these, these designs. Those look really nice, handmade. She's supposed to make us one, Philly. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to receive We're going to hold it?
3: them up when we get
2: them. They, they That's look right. like handmade, I, good quality stuff. And I Christmas the, coming uh, it should be uh, good. Absolutely. I sent her the artwork, so. You know, I mean, what more could be said about this? It, it needs a big, a large homicide-style investigation because that's what it is. Uh, the protocols were obviously not followed. Um,
7: in these photos, just distraught Alec Baldwin you reported these tears outside the Santa Fe Sheriff's Office just hours after the deadly accident on the set of his new movie, Rust. Authorities say Baldwin was filming when he fired a prop gun during a scene, killing one crew member and injuring another. Helena Hutchins, the film's director, was airlifted to an area hospital where she was later pronounced dead. Just days ago, Hutchins posted this video writing One of the perks of shooting a Western is you get to ride horses on your days off. Director Joel Sousa was also shot and hospitalized for his injuries. Sheriff's deputies were called to the movie set Thursday afternoon. A spokesperson for Baldwin described the shooting as an accident that involved the misfire of a prop gun with blanks. Detectives are looking at what type of projectile came out of the weapon. No charges have been filed, but authorities say the investigation is open and active. The deadly incident happened at Bonanza Creek Ranch, a location in New Mexico used for filming movies and TV shows. Uh, Actor Jeff Mead was working on a different set nearby. Sheriff's came down, sit on another set. There was live a live gun discharge. Fatal accidents involving prop weapons have happened before. The most high profile in 1993. Actor Brandon Lee, the son of icon Bruce Lee, died during filming on The Crow after he was shot with a prop gun. The incident was considered accidental. Hollywood weapons expert Larry Zanoff says since that time, the industry has put strict new protocols in place.
6: Well, the questions
0: that I would always ask is, were the safety guidelines of our industry followed? Blanks are not designed to do what the final outcome
7: of this was. We need to investigate and find out what went wrong. Baldwin is not only the star of Rust, but also one of its producers. While filming in New Mexico this month, cast and crew members shared scenes from the set on social media. And Thursday morning, just hours before the accident, Baldwin posting this photo with the caption, back to in person at the office. And again, after that Brandon Lee incident, these productions have been really strict. First of all, live ammunition never allowed on set. Usually there's a licensed armorer or a prop master in charge of handling any weapons, including the loading of any blanks. That person then monitors the weapon, shows the cast and crew how to use it. Productions also often required the use of shields during the filming of actual scenes. So it's unclear at this point how an accident like this could have happened as, of course, investigators continue. What happened? You know,
2: all you can say is horrendously tragic, but it's probably clear before we even start this investigation that you know many shortcuts were taking. As they said, the uh, the set almost got shut down. People were protesting that shortcuts were being taken. So I think a, a, an extremely thorough investigation has to be taken. And you know maybe they they should get the investigators from outside uh, this jurisdiction. Get someone maybe the state police to do it because this is a major major investigation and i would wonder if you go going on the scene as an investigator are they going to seek counsel are, are they going to have counsel telling them who and what to say because don't don't forget not only is there criminal liability there's a huge huge civil liability in this case I, really, I'd, be got, shocked.
1: Go ahead. I'd be i'd be shocked if the film continues you know
3: yeah, I was thinking that
2: myself.
1: Uh, I mean, it's possible, but that 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 all allman brothers movie, that got shut down. That never got filmed again. Uh I mean, The Crow did finish, uh but that movie was practically done. That was like the final, like the final scene, I think the last days of the the, the movie. Um uh I was gonna
3: say. <laughs> yeah, no, well, listen, you st-
2: go ahead, Phil. Go ahead.
3: Go ahead. Uh, l- listen, here's the bottom line. Steve pointed out some really specific things with regard to safety. Now, when we went to the police academy, they couldn't have been more on top of safety. Anytime you had a gun in your hand and you drew that gun, you had to point it downrange. Even if you fired out four your rounds and, and you had no more rounds in the gun, the gun is still presumed to be loaded. So I guess that's the obvious correct way anytime you're handling a real firearm that's capable of firing a projectile and then steve you made another point how when you're on i've been on uh on the scene of uh, movie sets many times and when a someone's dressed up as a police officer. When they say cut, they usually throw a cape over them. So they're not walking around and and someone will walk up to them and say, officer, I just got robbed or something to that effect. So they're not mistaken. And plus, if you're wearing that uniform, you're, you're also a target. I mean, you know, somebody could try and, you know, doing something illegal and then they see you fire a shot at someone that they believe is a cop. So all of these safety protocols are obviously in place. And I can't see how Bill, you brought up a great point. I can't see how, that their illegal people, their legal eagles won't be involved in this thing when it comes to all the questioning. And I'm sure that uh, the the local police probably are going to need the state police in that uh, that area of New Mexico. I don't think there's going to be a large police department there that'll be able to respond to this and do all of these interviews. So you're going to have all of these components uh, in this investigation, I'm sure. And then when uh, there's re-interviews, if they want to re-interview somebody, you know they're not showing up without an attorney.
1: You know a lot a lot of the problems on these sets uh is that everybody's scared to get fired like everybody's scared that you know the act they get Black gonna, in the industry as well well, sure. well, well the industry, but they, they're just a lot of them are young and they're starting out and they they want to do a good job and they think that their god is the is the first ad and the director so you know for and i'll, I'll give you an example you know i i'd roll up onto sets you know in u- uniform you know, full uniform, full mock car, and uh, there'd be a um, a young PA standing there at the um, entrance to, let's say, the Navy Yard or or, or an alleyway or something. And they'd be like, and I pull up, and they'd be like, yeah, street's closed." Like, Excuse me, I'm like you know, street's closed, can't come down the street. You know, get, you know, get out of the way, I'm the police. You know, you, you know, and you would have to, you would have to let them know. They're like, no, we have. Can a, you have explain a, what a PA a, is?
3: Can you explain what a PA, a PA is? No
1: production like? assistant, and it's it's kind of the it's it's probably probably the hardest working people, but the the lowest of the totem pole. It's like we're pretty much where anybody, uh, I guess, unless you got some kind of juice starts, you know. And then from you, you, it, it, each the different departments have uh, all have their own productions assistant. and then if if um, you know if you do well and you progress, you move up to a. Um, Okay. Uh, a, a, a key pa or a second second uh, assistant director and then second assistant director and then the, you know the main goal is to be like a first assistant director and then i guess be a director and uh stuff like that but but everybody it seems especially you know it starts from the top too you know when there's when there's a great director with a calm presence um, you know, then everybody on the set is calm. But if there's a, a nervous director or a nervous talent or an arrogant talent on the set, you know, everybody's on their toes and everybody's nervous. So, so the good thing again, you know, to not to to praise the NYPD, but the the the, praise, the movie, praise, yeah, no, no, I'm saying like the movie TV unit, like you know, if we're on a set, you know, we could be on a set and Tom Cruise could be screaming, "Let's go!" You know, let's open, you know drive the truck or, or set the explosion off we're like no the cop, cop regular cop in the streets telling him no tom no you're not and if you do you go you know you're getting arrested and your whole production shut down and you're not filming in new york ever again now would you know him be they, they, that that interaction would never happen because you know he would never interact with the cop i'm not i'm using him because he's such a big star i'm not, i'm not saying he don't don't think i would i'm even saying that he's like that i don't i've never met the guy my point is is that even if all these other people are scared of what the blowback may be from the, the major talent or the director and, and, or anybody on the set, the cops can still shut it down, and there's nothing they can do about it. They can come up and say, I'm friends with Bill de Blasio, uh, and if you shut this set down, I'm going to get kicked out of the unit. It doesn't matter. You, you might I might face some trouble down the line, but I'm stopping the set. Right? I have the power to stop the set right now, and this, this, is, this unsafe thing isn't going to happen. And the and the major the easiest way to do it is you just stand in front of the camera because nobody's going to move you out of the way or you pull your car into the set and you and you turn your lights on. But having said all that, that that's very 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 rarely ever has to be done because they know it can be done. So when you tell them no, they know. They know what the next step is. But it's a good you know thing what I, I have, have a really little case.
3: hard time believing, Steve, that a what? PA stopped you in uniform and you went, can you get out of the way it's the police? <laughs> no, no, it was, it was, yeah, no,
1: no. No, well, I'll tell you how crazy this one was. I actually, I so usually, you, listen, if they're filming, I'm not, listen, I'm not an arrogant guy being like, I got to get in there now. There's no rush. So I'm like, all right, what are they rolling? So the, the PA was like, yeah, they're rolling. Sorry, right, so I'm sitting there for like five, 10 minutes. So I called the location person up finally. I'm like, are you guys rolling right now? They're like, no, not at all. So I wheel the car it, it was it was a yard. I wheel the car to the right and I start driving. She goes to jump in front of the car. <laughs> that but that's how crazy they are. Like I said, they you take it serious. You know, you know, so- Steve,
2: we we've had similar stuff with um like risk management in a hospital when a patient dies through negligence of an employee, say someone gave the wrong medication or someone did a job that they weren't qualified to do resulting in the in the death of a patient, risk management will be all over it, telling the person what to say to us right. to the point where we've had to say, Miss, get out of here. We're not interested in what your lawyers have to say or what you have to say. We want to interview the person right. that had an interaction with this patient. And you got to see the damage control they try to do. And I'm sure the movie business is probably times 10 because they have lots more money than most hospitals. Yeah, and- but
1: th- you know what the truth is a lot of uh, some productions like The Fast and the Furious, they wouldn't even film here for that one in New York. They just came and did what's called plate shots because they they would they weren't allowed they we don't allow them to drive the cars any faster than 25 miles per hour. And that's because they were doing a stunt on this uh, movie called The Sorcerer's Apprentice in Times Square and the stunt the car went out of control went, went right into Shaparos. Wow. So So now they can't drive faster than 25 miles per hour. So if a movie thinks that they need to do that, if they can't do some kind of camera trick, they won't film here.
2: Yeah, I know that the the city has very strict rules, but, uh, you know, there has to be, like, national accountability for, especially for firearms, the use of firearms in movies, you know, just like. Good. Ahead, Good. Ahead, no,
1: go ahead. most of the let me let me just say this. I mean, I'm telling you all kind of like these horror stories that really ever happened in New York. But most of the shows, I'm I'm talking about like Blue Bloods, Blacklist, uh, SVU, um, any of these regular shows that uh, you know that run all the power shows, all these sh- shows that that run regularly in New York City. They're fine. You know, finely uh, tuned machines. They run perfectly. They get armorers they do gun training they they follow all and 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 they get done what they have to do and it's very safe and and it comes out amazing and and you know it's just got to be done right like people are always asking me like well can we get away with filming this in new york can we do this in new york I'm like well if you have enough money and you do everything unfortunately that's the way it is because it costs money to shut down streets and stuff but uh if you do everything correctly yeah and safely yeah you can get it done but it's got you know people don't want to do that they, you know the, 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 a lot of times when you know we always we always were weary of when la directors come into new york or la first uh, assistant directors cuz it's like the wild west out there and and they they don't have a movie unit what they do is they just hire a retired cop and a retired cop just kind of sits on the set and they do whatever they want because it's 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 so, it's so the culture of filming in la you know but uh and they come to new york and they're like well what do you mean we can't do that you know you can't no you can't do that you can't do it like that anyway so they, they they're very fly by the sea of the pants and so they come to new york they can't believe that they can't do certain things the way they want anyway
2: and then they walk away going
3: wow wow <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you, you know real quick bill uh, there was a movie called the french connection and it was filmed in the early 70s and and they just had the uh, 50th anniversary i think it was yeah they, it was the 50th anniversary and they were talking about the they asked for a quote from the director and he was saying how he, it was just amazing how they they did the chase scene a lot of the chase scene without permits just with a stunt driver driving through the regular streets of brooklyn 86th street and he said it was amazing nobody got killed so obviously a lot of things have changed over the years and uh all these safety protocols are in place. And, Steve, you made a good point. A lot of production goes on in New York City. Very rarely are these these horrible tragedies a problem. So uh, I guess, you know, the movie TV unit's doing their job.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: You know, <laughs> Phil, Phil and I did a, a show. I won't name the show, but it was on the ID channel. And they wanted to <laughs> shoot inside a parking lot. So they just bought a parking ticket. <laughs> and we <laughs> shut the whole scene inside this parking lot. Yeah. No, one was, no one was the wiser to well, know.
1: You got to get things done, right? And
2: they pulled <laughs> two vans in there, so the price of an hour parking, mm. they got a free yeah. set. <laughs> talk,
3: talk about flying by! His very, gear. very resourceful
2: that producer. Oh, yeah, so they, he's, a, he's a real resourceful. <laughs> they they so did nice. other things. They did other things like that too, which is it, amazing. Other things that they did by the seat of their pants. And, yeah, man. Uh, but thank God yeah, so Phil, f- imagine you said, Oh, could could we use your garage to shoot? Oh, yes, that'll be a thousand dollars a day. Oh, okay, well, no, we'll just buy a ticket to park for ten bucks for an hour. Right, right. I know season. the scene
3: you're talking about, Bill. That was the scene with you and I, uh, we, the one that we worked right, on. Right to, to ID the car. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. That was <laughs> that was great. But, that was great. So, man, you know, listen.
2: folks, uh, we tried to give you an inside view of uh, what may have happened on this set the mistakes that happened, the tragedy that occurred. And, you know, um, Steve Gardell, who worked worked in the movie TV unit, New York City obviously has very strict protocols, and they should probably be an industry standard. But, you know, when you're in Rome, people do as the Romans, you know. So when you're outside of New York City and you're in a place, uh, you know, that's a little looser, people are going to do things like like they want to do. The other thing is, folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on. YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up. Uh we have a Patreon, three levels. We also have um a membership. You become a police off the cuff family member. And I won't go over the whole thing now because uh, I know many of you people in the chat. I've seen some of you, I see some grizzly, uh some grizzly folks from uh Giesler's show in the chat. Great to see you. Marie Green, thank you. You're a huge, you're a huge supporter, big fan. The lady is a tramp. Thumbs up, thank you, Dave Dowling. Horrific it happened. You're right. Uh these tragedies happened and we're here to uh try to give you the inside view of uh of why and how maybe to prevent this in the future. Uh so I'm I'm gonna give Phil his last words and then we'll give Steve Gardellas last words and then We're going to say good afternoon after that.
3: Phil, last words. Last words. Thank you, Steve, for coming on. And uh, when it's your last words, if you want to, uh, you know, give us a little uh, shout out to anything that you're doing. Uh, Real quick, uh, Helena Hutchins, uh, you know, condolences to her and her family. Uh, Hope that Joel uh, Sousa, the director, is feeling better. And uh, thanks for coming on, Stevie.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me, Phil. I really appreciate. It. This was a lot of fun. I was a little nervous, but yeah, you, know, you guys, uh, you guys put me at ease. Like you said, Phil, it's like a, it's like a squad room conversation. You know, spitballing, baby. It's just yeah. a conversation. That's, that's yeah. all
2: it is. And and, and on our, our fans or as subscribers as they like to be called, they're listening into us and uh, they're enjoying uh, these conversations. So, folks, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories, myself, Bill Cannon, and my co-host Phil Grimaldi, and today's special guest retired sergeant stephen Godell have a great afternoon and god bless stay safe thanks everyone. guys
1: take care stay safe
2: i gotta play our little outro here stem
5: Stand- one episode just